Hello, this is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Startup podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea. You're ready to launch something, or you possibly launched something already, and you're flying full steam ahead. We're here to give you the tactical strategy that will give your business the best chance of success. Today we're going to talk about great products and how everyone misunderstands what actually makes a great product. And we'll start by talking about basic products, simple products. And I'm being nice. What I'm getting at are products that are objectively not all that impressive. They aren't beautiful, they don't have snappy marketing, maybe they send out emails with bad formatting or only have like 10 Instagram followers or a pixelated logo. Nothing makes my heart flutter more than when I see a product that's clearly growing and solving a problem, but also is clearly being held together with duct tape and bubble gum. When those things work, it's magic. And that is what today is about. The whole reason Idea to Startup exists is because I think more people should be building startups. The stated goal of this podcast is to lower the barriers of entry for potential entrepreneurs. And this weird insight and borderline infatuation I've had recently seeking out objectively basic, I'll call them, products, and yet objectively successful businesses will be helpful for that. Everyone listening to this podcast wants to build a great product, and most people listening are misunderstanding what that actually means. This great product is probably closer than you might think. To talk through it, we'll have to hop into a time machine back to the year 2007, setting the scene with what is hopefully an unlicensed version of the Saved by the Bell flashback music. The year was 2007. The top song was Irreplaceable by Beyonce, the top movie was Ratatouille, the NFL MVP was Tom Brady, and Kanye West wore those sunglasses that had, like, shades on them. I'm pretty sure all those things could have happened in 2022, but I promise you 2007 was different. To prove it to you, you probably bought an Usher ringtone that played when your significant other called you back then. And if you're too young for that reference, you definitely didn't get the Saved by the Bell reference, but hang in there. I've got a joke for you later. Anyway, I just started my first job out of college working in finance in a role that no longer exists, in a group that no longer exists, at a firm that no longer exists. And I think deep down, I was pretty sure that was going to happen. So less than a month after my first day, I started working on a startup idea. I'd rushed to get my work done by noon so that I could work on my own thing the rest of the day. No one was faster at alt-tabbing to a dummy Excel sheet when their boss walked by than me. But there wasn't really a startup scene back in 2007, and there certainly wasn't one in New York City. I'm pretty sure I didn't even think of it as a startup just a massive problem I'd recently had and really wanted to solve. This was the problem. I'd played basketball at Union College, a Division III school in upstate New York. The recruiting process was not smooth. An integral part of that process included my mom and I going to the library where they had a VCR recorder, making copies of grainy VHS tapes of my high school games, and then mailing them to dozens of coaches all over the country along with a handwritten note and my high school and AAU game schedules. Then, we'd wait. If a coach liked what he saw, he'd call or come and watch me in person. Eventually, this worked. I had coaches at my games and I had a bunch of options. But the process was stress-filled and all-encompassing. And for a lot of people, that process didn't work. 
Everyone I met at college who played sports had the same story, and it became clear how much dumb luck played in the process. Maybe a coach watched your team closely, and maybe they didn't. Maybe they got it after a tough loss and just threw it in the garbage. Leaving something so important to luck rubbed me and the 200,000 other Division III athletes that compete each year completely wrong. So I decided to try and solve it. Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube were all relatively new but definitely growing, and I figured I could mash the three of them together. I'd build a recruiting platform, one where athletes signed up and uploaded their game film, coaches tagged them like following someone on LinkedIn, and there was a feed of videos of the players those coaches followed, kind of like Facebook. There was not a ton of software developers in 2007 capable of this, and when I finally found one who thought they might be, they said it would probably cost millions of dollars to execute. They said to prove out the use case first and try and raise money to build that product. So I did. I wasn't sure exactly how to prove out the use case, so I called my old coach to see if the process was still the same as when I'd played. He said that yes, it was, except now people sent DVDs. A bit stuck, I decided to reach out to a few friends who had younger brothers who were in high school and were currently trying to get recruited. I asked what the most frustrating part of the process was, and they said definitely copying the DVDs to send to coaches. Lots of them didn't have DVD copiers, and if they did or if they bought one, they didn't have computers powerful enough to copy DVDs in less than like five hours. So I took a paycheck and I bought an industrial 10 DVD at a time recorder. I'd just gotten a pretty fast computer the previous year, so I was set for making lots of copies. I still wasn't sure exactly how to position this, so I decided I'd go to a few high school games and ask the parents if they wanted help getting their sons recruited. It's easy to spot the player's parents. They are way too into these games. And when I did, I'd walk up to them and ask how recruiting was going. I told one set of parents I had a business where I'd make 100 DVD copies of their son's game film and send those to 100 coaches. If they gave me their son's AAU and high school schedules, I'd include those too. I literally made all of this up on the spot. The dad asked how many different players' DVDs I sent to each coach at a time, which tipped me off to an idea of sending them out in bulk. It would definitely be cheaper that way. About 20, I said, again, just making it up on the spot. And how much would this cost, the mom added. I hesitated, then blurted out the first number that came to my mind. It would be $250. They seemed a bit confused. Well, for $250, I assume we need to supply the DVDs and pay for postage? I realized I'd just quoted a dramatically low price and stumbled into something about how, yes, they would need to provide the DVDs and postage, or the full package that I offered, another thing I made up, would cover all of it, but it was a higher price. And how do you choose who gets to be in the 20, the dad asked. Our son has a 4.0 GPA and he's scoring 20 points a game, and I promise you he would be a great addition to your package of 20 players. We can even write you a check right now, and we actually have one of his DVDs. We can give it to you. I was absolutely shocked. Five minutes before, I was a total stranger, and now this guy was just going to write me a check. After this interaction, I decided to make one-pagers for my business to take to high school games. I upped my price to 500 bucks with DVDs and postage included. I talked about looking for a batch of 20 players, and after a few games, had 20 customers. They usually had their DVDs on them at games just in case a coach had showed up, so the transaction usually happened on the spot with a check. I'd take their email to keep them in the loop. I literally couldn't believe what was happening. 
I didn't have a website. I didn't have a single successful customer in the past. I had a company name, The Hoops Bridge, but no official email address. I couldn't figure out how to make one, so I just used thehoopsbridge at gmail.com. And yet, my first batch of 20, along with around $2,500 in profit after the DVD purchases and shipping costs, came in three weeks after I had the idea. I couldn't believe it. This product, just making DVDs and shipping them, was objectively pretty bad. There was no automation, no site, no follow-up, no nothing. I just didn't understand how people were so interested. I guessed that their alternative was just so bad that anything could look good. Within a few weeks, I had 30 requests in my inbox from parents asking if their sons could get in the next batch of the Hoopsbridge recruiting package. I also had a few from parents of kids playing other sports. They asked when applications for soccer or lacrosse were. But that second batch never happened. Neither did soccer or lacrosse. Because I decided I had all the proof I needed to try and raise money and build my LinkedIn plus Facebook plus YouTube platform that would let all 350,000 high school recruits across all sports and divisions sign up within the year. I made a pitch deck and I included all the emails parents had sent me to show how big of a problem this actually was. The last customer who eagerly paid $500 to be the 20th athlete included in my first batch was the last paying customer I would ever have. For years, I thought the reason that business failed was because I couldn't fundraise for it. I was young, I had no experience, and as I was trying to fundraise, 2008 hit. But that was never the problem. The hoops bridge didn't work because I didn't realize how beautiful that duct tape and bubblegum product really was. I didn't realize that great products have nothing to do with the product and everything to do with the delta. We'll talk more about that, about what I should have done, and about what you can do after some smooth jazz. I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox, a monthly membership program that provides structure, strategy, and network for entrepreneurs testing and building startup ideas on the side. We help you flesh out and test your idea so you can understand its potential and start working purposefully towards that potential. We put everything we learned from seven years helping over 350 idea stage entrepreneurs build businesses that raised over 100 million bucks and are now worth nearly a billion into this program. It's a clear step-by-step path with target metrics that'll take you from idea to product. You'll get direct feedback from us as you build and a built-in network. It's the thing I would have killed for when I was working on my idea without direction or a team, which is exactly why we built it. The membership has grown fast the past few weeks. Come and join us. We're gonna launch 250 businesses this year. One of those might as well be yours. Head to gettacklebox.com slash ideas to get the podcast listeners deal. And if you do, I'll see you on Wednesday at our one-on-one strategy session. Back to it. Life is about context and alternatives. You might tell me you will never buy a $35 bagel, but I can tell you that you probably would. If you were at a restaurant and you were hungry and every other bagel was 75 bucks, I can almost guarantee you would buy that $35 bagel. Lots of entrepreneurs envision the choices their customers make in a vacuum. If you make an objectively great product, your customer will buy it. If you don't make an objectively great product, they won't. But it doesn't work like that. A product is exactly as compelling as the customer's alternatives. People buy and make decisions based on the delta, the delta between what they've got now and what they could have with you. I just moved up to 88th in Columbus. There's an incredible pizza shop nine blocks away. 
If I lived in the suburbs and this pizza shop was 25 minutes away, I'd happily get in the car and go there every Friday. But there's a marginally worse pizza shop about three blocks away. In a taste test, the nine blocks away pizza shop would win 100 out of 100 times. But in reality, I've lived here for two months and I've never gone to it. I've gone to the closer one a couple of times though. The alternative is what matters. The best version of the recruiting software I envisioned for the Hoopsbridge might have been that tech product. But I didn't realize the unbelievable use case I'd stumbled into. The janky send us a DVD and a handwritten check and we'll send out a bunch of your stuff and hopefully someone watches it felt too amateurish to me. I wanted a clean software driven solution, something that could scale. I was in a rush to get to all 350,000 athletes. But to customers, the delta between that and their current process was enormous, way past the buy threshold. I didn't need software. Duct tape and bubblegum was plenty. The alternative to my duct tape and bubblegum solution was them staying up until three in the morning to swap in a new DVD to maximize their recording hours. It was searching high and low for coach addresses and going to Office Depot to buy padded envelopes and figuring out how many stamps they'd need. It was awful. I bumped into a parent years later who said they would have paid $5,000, not 500 for me to take this off their plates. The value was so high. This wasn't just sports, this was admission to college. This was their kid's future. Of course they'd pay for it. Most importantly, the whole process was so foreign. It's rare that any parent would have gone through the recruiting process before. Just someone telling them, hey, I've already done this. I was successful with it. I know how to do it. And here is how I will get your videos to the right coaches was enormously valuable. Trust was a huge feature. And me being an ex-college player who'd figured it out and was telling them I had a real process instead of whatever it was they were stumbling through now was comforting. One parent told me trying to get their kid recruited felt like walking through a pitch black room with your arms extended just trying to feel stuff out. Think of your idea like a seesaw. The less bad the current process, the better your product will have to be to create a delta big enough for someone to want to buy your product. The worse the current process, the objectively worse your product can be and still perform phenomenally well. It's hard to build an advanced product. Your route to success is much more likely to involve a basic product that just happens to be much better than a very terrible alternative. But what if you love building products? And what if you're convinced this can't work for you? That your customer won't put up with anything less than flawless design, sleek messaging, and perfect UX? What if you don't want to compromise? Warren Buffett is known as the greatest investor of all time, but is he really? His annual return is averaged about 22%. That's incredible, but is it actually good enough for everyone to know his name? What makes Warren Buffett great isn't the return he makes on any given year, it's the length of time he's been doing it. He began investing when he was 10 years old, literally. He's now 91 years old and worth $115 billion. He's been investing consistently for 81 years. Had he started investing when he was 30 and stopped when he was 60 to retire, like lots of people might have, he'd be worth about $12 million today. Roughly $114.8 billion less than he's actually worth. Warren Buffett is great because of his time in the market. He has thousands of times more money than all of us combined, but it's not because he outperforms us every year by thousands of percent. Maybe he outperforms us by a bit, but he's not an oracle despite what people say. He is who he is because of the time he spent in the market, because of compound interest. 
For entrepreneurs, this is the path. Just like money compounds with time in the market, your product will compound with customer interactions. The goal of your product can't be perfection on day one. The more things you need to be true to be successful, the less chance you will be successful. The more features, the more bells, the more nuance, the smaller the likelihood you'll actually make an impact. The goal has to be interactions with customers. A great product doesn't come from your head, it comes from reacting to customers. Seeing what people do, seeing how they feel, seeing what they need, and then adjusting. I sent out that first batch of 20 players to coaches and immediately started getting emails from them back. What the heck was this? Where these players come from? Had I hand chose them or was this random? I responded to a bunch and what I heard was super interesting. They said the player pages were great, but could I put all 20 calendars together? They didn't have the resources to be at 10 places on any given weekend, so could they see where they might best spend their time? Also, could I add the player's phone numbers on top of the DVDs directly? They usually sorted players by DVDs and this made it easy to call them. After I sent the tapes, I got messages from the recruits constantly as well. Had the coaches received their DVDs? Should they follow up with a call? How could they send out a second tape? Maybe they just had a 50 point game. How could they send that along? The most effective websites in the world are the simplest ones. Google, Amazon, eBay, the best businesses are praised for being simple. But too many founders think a great product is the beautifully designed one or one that offers unique features or generally just doesn't look like a startup. They find a problem and get excited about productizing a solution just like I did. They get tempted to scale and raise money and rush. But true customer insight takes time and reps. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Mediocrity is in a rush. Move fast, be decisive, but recognize what the goal is. I found the problem holy grail with the Hoops Bridge, a group of customers who were woefully underserved. They desperately wanted to help their kids get recruited and there was no product, beautiful or not, to do that. I should have run the 20 player test, then run it again, then tweaked it and run it again, then done that 30 more times over the next 18 months, then automated what didn't matter, whatever part was a commodity that supported what the true magic was. Don't be so excited by the problem that you rush ahead and miss the real insight. Two things matter when making a great product. First, find a problem with a huge delta, where you can build something with duct tape and bubble gum and it's still so much better than the alternative that customers are falling over themselves to work with you. Then, test it. Make small tweaks. Interact with customers. Don't be in a rush. Time and reps will polish your business like a diamond. They'll tell you what to build, what to scale, what matters. And most of all, remember that you can do this. The product you need to get started probably isn't as far out of reach as you think. Get going, solve a problem, learn, move forward, find a delta, and holler if you need a hand. Have a great week. This was the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by the Tacklebox membership. Head to gettacklebox.com slash ideas to get more on the podcast and to find the discount on the membership. If you got a startup idea and a full-time job, I hope to see you soon.